Hello and welcome back to the Replatform podcast. Uh, it's myself, James, and joined as always by my co-host, Paul. Paul, how are you doing today, mate? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm looking out into a nice rain-soaked, uh, grey, miserable day. It's beautiful. Uh-huh. It's a typical English day. Um, so we're on to another episode. And today we are talking about e-commerce pricing management. Uh, and before I uh, introduce our, our, our guest um, today, I'll just set the scene about why, why we thought this was an interesting topic and why it's related to replatforming. So, so pricing strategy is fundamental to any e-commerce business and having the right tools in place to enable price management is a competitive necessity. Uh, and depending on what market you're in, reacting to, to market changes for pricing can be the difference between success and failure, especially when you're selling commoditized products for example, you're an e-commerce store that's a reseller of third-party brands such as electrical goods, where suddenly a big price discount in a competitor absolutely kills your paid media, um, competitive pricing and conversion rate. Managing prices with flat price file structures, which is the, the kind of out the boxing, which is you have a price file, you upload it, you can update it and re-upload it, and you can upload deltas. That's fine, but it's time-consuming and manually intensive. And when you're trying to do that at scale with hundreds of thousands of products and trying to do that out into paid media channels, that is complex to do manually. So it's why a lot of organizations invest in automation technology. And it's one of the key discussion points when thinking about platform migration or building a new platform is how is the price file and price files going to be managed? So we thought it'd be really interesting to uh, have a chat today with the, the guys behind Pricing, which provides a, a, a price management technology platform. So we're delighted that the Birch Tanner, the CEO and founder, has agreed to join us today. So welcome to Replatform Birch. Thanks much, James. Uh, pleasure to be here. And uh, and yeah, I really appreciate you taking time. I know it's a national holiday um, for you guys at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, Turkey's Republic's Day, 29th of October. And just like you said, it's actually a pretty, pretty British day here in Istanbul, Turkey as well. So it's heavily <laughs> early in the morning. So I, I feel like you guys are in the very same space, actually. Yeah, you've come out in sympathy of our poor weather. That's appreciated. Um, so before, we've got lots of fun questions for you around price management and what your platform does and enables and how it works. So before we do that, what would be really good for our listeners is, could you, could you uh, give them a flavour of who you are, what you, know, what you do, uh, and also you know, what, what is pricing and what's its purpose? Sure, definitely. So I, you know, like you introduced, my name is Burç Tanir and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Pricing, which is a competitor price tracking plus dynamic pricing engine for e-commerce companies of all sizes. So to, to, to dive a little deep into my background, I'm an industrial engineer and, you know, I started up another company prior to pricing, like around 2011. It was, a, it was actually a mobile app business uh, aimed at becoming Slack of that day, uh, before, before Slack, but, you know, we didn't have that vision at all. We just tried to build something, but we couldn't scale. So we, 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 we acknowledged that that business was a, was a failure. We learned a lot of stuff. But around 2013, we simply started to observe that e-commerce market was booming all around the world. So not necessarily in the developed markets, but even in the emerging markets. And, you know, uh, as expected, a growth in e-commerce uh, also translates into an exponential competition. So I started to notice that tons of my friends were working in e-commerce companies and their day-to-day job was simply like practically becoming monitoring competitors' websites just to detect their you know, pricing strategies, how they change their prices, whether they change their prices. So I noticed that all those smart folks across the world were simply wasting tons of time on monitoring those prices. So we thought that this is a totally repetitive robotic task that can be actually better executed by robots. 
So we just came up with the idea of pricing. So back then, uh, to give some retrospective, back then it was originally uh, only a competitor price tracking solution. So companies were signing up for a tool. They were tracking their competitors' prices and exporting all that data back uh, into their computers, into their environments. And then they were coming up with uh, like uh, new optimized price points against competitors. But around around two three years back, we also added a dynamic pricing capability, which we will discuss in a while. On top of that data, so now we actually aim at uh, providing an end-to-end price management solution to e-commerce companies from all, all around the world. And as of today, we have the privilege of privilege of working with uh, like hundreds of companies from more than fifty countries, obviously uh, predominantly in in the UK. That makes sense. Um, so I'll answer. I'll, I'll ask the first question. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've uh, I've had a few clients that have used pricing uh, over the years, and it's generally been for like different things. So like multi-brand retailers wanting to kind of be price competitive, particularly across paid channels, um, mm-hmm. as James mentioned earlier, and then brands kind of tracking. Um, resellers um and kind of discounting and things like that um what is it what does the average customer look like for pricing and does that change across different markets uh actually like like you mentioned in the very introduction part so we we mainly address the pain point of companies who are selling uh third-party products so branded products that can be like with a with a, with a quick google search you can find tons of competitors for that particular website, uh, for example. So those guys are in desperate need for a tool like us. I'm not just claiming that they need pricing, but those guys who are actually in harsh competition definitely needs to have some automated competitor price tracking capability. So I would say those type of industries where you have that type of harsh price competition, not necessarily price, but harsh competition, uh, actually, we, we, we have actually a crack. Uh, so in terms of also company types and company sizes, uh, our customer base is predominantly uh, SMBs, so small and medium-sized businesses from all around the world. Because, I mean, I think the way we cracked this technology, the way we developed it and the way we serve it enables us to provide this service at really affordable rates. So this is actually not really an enterprise play that re- requires tons of setup resources, setup allocations, deployments, etc. But instead, we pack this technology into a self-service mode. So companies of all sizes basically can simply sign up for the technology, use them, uh, use it on behalf, of, uh, on behalf of us. So they simply can crack that uh, for, for their own, let's say, uh, needs. So we don't really deploy any type of consultancy resources, et cetera, which was actually the original business model uh, in, the, in, the, in the pricing software uh, market uh, before us, I would say. So that actually you know, helped us to scale in the SMB space, but obviously about 10%, 15% of our customer base includes like uh, Fortune 500 companies from all around the world. And also, like you said, other than e-commerce players, other than e-commerce companies who are competing against each other on price, we also help e-commerce suppliers, I would say brands who actually supplies their own products across uh, multiple online channels uh, in the sense that they actually also need to monitor the online pricing for their products to, first of all, like manage their pricing consistency across the board. And plus, as everything is kind of becoming e-commerce, I'm, I'm, I'm a pure evangelist of that idea and I might be biased there, but I believe that e-commerce is simply becoming the primary channel for any brand in any industry nowadays. So 
Actually, those brands also started to require uh, tons of competitive intelligence uh, in, the, in the sense that they also want to monitor their overall pricing strategy against the competitive brands in e-commerce in particular. So, you know, this in, in, in old days, in conventional market research, those guys were all actually uh, catered by, you know, market research companies who are collecting data from the field. So they had actually tons of people collecting data from supermarkets, I don't know, retail stores, etc. So this is now actually being converted into a digital, let's say, uh, methodology. And we are basically also providing that data collection methodology to, to, to brands who are active in e-commerce. So it's, it's basically twofold. One, e-commerce players. Two, e-commerce suppliers. And in terms of sizes of the brands, it's predominantly SMBs because of the way we actually deliver, we are the way we are able to deliver this technology. That makes sense. Um, quick sub question. So one of the clients that I had, the, I think it was pricing they were using, I'm pretty sure it was, um, were using uh, your API and basically pulling in competitor price data into a spreadsheet um, as well as the currency globally um, mm-hmm. for a set of um, kind of branded products. And then they were adapting um Google shopping bids and kind of changing um, how they were running their campaigns um, based on price competitiveness. Is this a common use case for pricing? Yeah, absolutely. Like if 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 there's a price competition in place, that actually directly translates into competition in marketing channels. So, like you said, in Google Shopping in particular. So we we position our data in a way that actually we Actually, this is this is the strategy of today and the last two years. We actually really doubled down on our API because we started to notice that people are, you know, obviously they converge at certain points of usages, but they also have quite creative ideas of, you know, using our data in various ways. So in order to tap into all those actually strategies uh, that our clients want to, you know, embed uh, our data into, we double down on our API, which essentially provides every single data point that we demonstrate to our users in the in the web dashboard. And that actually enables them to do whatever they practically like to do with, with our data. So this particular use case you mentioned is pretty common, I must say. And actually, we actually further uh, improved our technology in that direction by also being somewhat integrated with Google Shopping, especially at the data collection end. So we can now collect every single uh, like retailer competitor uh, available on Google Shopping on behalf of our clients, rather than them inputting all that data into our dashboard so that they can actually have a, have a, have a you know, more tailored scope of data uh, to, 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 to use via the API. So yeah, and other than that, you know, API has tons of other usages. For example, some companies actually may find our reporting maybe not, not you know, as detailed or too detailed than you know, they expected, so they actually might even use, you know, business intelligence tools like Tableau, I don't know, various BI tools. So they simply, you know, use our API, add the data into their own internal BI tool, and they have their dashboard available. Uh, so they have the most essential bit of reporting from us, which is the data, but they can do whatever they like with that. Uh, you know, that's really falling into their creative, uh, let's say, capabilities. Excellent. And I'd like to to look a little bit more around the pricing controls. I, I think price scraping is probably the most obvious to people and people get it. Okay, we scrape competitor price data, we use it in our decision making. 
But the dynamic pricing is one I'd, I'd like to go into some more detail. Mm-hmm. So the, the the area I'd really like to understand it in is how does it work for like a non-commodity product? So, for example, a jewellery company is selling engagement rings. They're brand specific. So they don't those aren't sold across 30 websites. They are unique to that website. Mm-hmm. But competitors have similar products. Mm-hmm. How would a e-commerce team use the dynamic pricing in that environment so that they could make pricing decisions based on what their competitors are doing? Mm-hmm. Well, actually, you know, to respond to that question, I must admit that the majority of our clients are actually in that commodity-based products market. So we don't right. really work with tons of jewelry brands who yeah. are, like you said, selling products that are similar to their competitors' products. But uh, again, to give you some percentages, I would say I believe about 5% of our client base are actually falling in, into that category of uh, like companies who are competing against the substitute, uh, let's say, uh, companies. So in that case, we uh, actually, I would say, partner up with the customer in such a way that they have the full control of driving the competitive landscape. So we let them you know, fully utilize the dashboard capabilities in such a way that they simply define uh, their competitor links uh, on competitor websites for each and every single product of theirs. Because we, for example, as technology guys, I mean, we are not really an e-commerce company. We are not a market research company even. We are a technology company. So we really can't claim to know every single product category in terms of competition, in terms of like product assortments, product types. So the best strategy there uh, for us was simply to let 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 our customers to control that product landscape. So they simply draw the landscape in such a way that they say, okay, product A in my brand is a direct substitute to product X in brand B, which is my competitor. So then they have the ability to benchmark their prices in that in that let's say competitive landscape drawn by them. So that actually helps them to also apply any type of dynamic pricing, uh, let's say, strategies that our commoditized market customers can also apply. So, but first of all, uh, we we actually need that partnership in the very beginning of data collection, and to do that, we actually picked flexibility as the as the right approach, and that's that's how it's uh, working at the moment. Yeah, that makes sense. So you can basically there's an initial setup to manually map the products that you want to maintain price parity with, basically. Yeah, I mean, in that particular case, because again, I mean, we can't claim to say that, okay, this product looks like your substitute. Uh, I mean, this is jewelry business. This can be any any other business that requires some, I don't know, a heuristic, let's say, product knowledge, which cannot be mimicked by maybe like technology. Uh, I mean, if it was if we, if it was like you said, consumer electronics, mom and baby products with particular EAN codes, I don't know, product codes. I mean, that's our that's our play. I would say yeah. so. We can definitely handle all that bit automatically. But if you know, the, if the product category is one of those tricky categories where you simply benchmark substitutes against your products rather than the exact matches, yeah, yeah that requires a bit of manual control. Perfect. That that that's cool. That makes sense. And and linked to that, because one of the big worries that people have with with um, automated price changing is that whole like, Amazon race to the bottom, where you're constantly eroding margin because mm-hmm. if somebody discounts, you discount, and then it carries on and carries on. So, what are the? I know you have rule sets within the dynamic pricing. How can e-commerce teams 
set controls in the pricing so that they don't ever drop below a particular um, margin on the product or they don't be- drop below a particular selling price? What What is the control they can do to stop the engine automatically going too low? Well, it's it's actually uh, you know nice old school friend of ours cost of goods sold value. So we you know as we are integrated with e-commerce platforms, so technically it also means that we are integrated with their purchase prices of their products. For example, from a retailer perspective, you know you have your own products in your e-commerce platform and you have their cost of goods sold values associated to them again in the platform, and then you have your pricing values. So while trying to actually calculate the optimum prices on behalf of our clients, we actually uh, consider cost of goods sold value as a mandatory field so that when we actually let our users to define dynamic pricing rules from our dashboard, they always actually add certain thresholds considering this cost of goods sold. So a typical pricing rule, for example, dynamic pricing rule to be set on pricing dashboard always includes uh, uh, let's say an if condition, which says something like, if the recalculated price is let's say five percent or five pounds higher than the cost of goods sold value. So if and only if the recalculated price satisfies this mandatory final if, then we recalculate the price on behalf of our client and then we trigger we trigger the price changes. Otherwise, uh, we simply actually keep the prices as they are. So. We are never fans of, let's say, uh, loss making uh, just for the sake of competitive pricing. And that's actually one of the one of the reasons why companies are quite fond of our dynamic pricing engine, because we, it, it actually intrinsically inhibits. I mean, it actually avoids uh, a race to the bottom, technically. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what like price matching is one of those those uh, like bu- uh, words that scares a lot of uh, financial teams. But I guess though the that if you were an e-commerce team who wanted to have three or four products as loss leaders and say you are happy to to accept that they they had a slight negative margin because it drove acquisition, you could do that on specific SKUs, though, couldn't you? You could set it uniquely yep. at that SKU level. To do so you need to do something explicitly. So the default mode never permits that. But if you actually kind of claim that, if you actually state that you have that particular, let's say, strategy like hero products to make some, you know, especially during the holiday seasons coming ahead, you know, obviously this might be a working strategy. So in that case, the the user of the dashboard should be explicitly stating that, okay, I'm aware of the fact that I'm going to make some losses in that product. So they actually uncheck a default if that I mentioned, and then they can actually, you know, match their prices regardless of their profit margins, etc. So that's that's absolutely doable. And also, uh, maybe you would ask that, but let me maybe proactively respond to that. I mean, the the the, the main actually uh, use case where our dynamic pricing really works on behalf of our clients is. The case is when it simply triggers price increases rather than you know discounts, price decreases. Because yeah. you know, in, in, in typical e-commerce, you always think that e-commerce price monitoring actually drives you know raises the prices to the bottom because you observe that your competitors actually made a discount, so you feel like uh, you feel the urge of you know reacting against that. But in some cases, I mean, people often oversee that. In some cases, we actually uh, you know appear absolutely too competitive in the market because maybe for for multiple reasons i mean one reason can be that 
Maybe we have an absolutely great connection with a particular supplier of a brand. So those guys actually provide us a great cost of goods sold at product level. So when we apply the old school, let's say, cost-based pricing technique, maybe we set the market average profit margin, let's say, 10%. And when we apply that cost-based pricing strategy with the average margin of 10%, we might turn out to be way too cheaper than the market average, way too cheaper than the other guys. And unless you monitor the markets with those prices, you never feel like increasing your prices at all. And our technology can simply also identify such opportunities thanks to this rule-based engine. So if you, if you consider what I said earlier, in that scenario, the rule will simply actually increase the price of our clients at uh, to, the, to the, the competitive level they desire. So for example, they set a rule to be like, uh, 1% cheaper than the competitor's price and at least 10% profitability. So maybe our price was like 5% cheaper than the cheapest competitor. So in that case, we will simply increase the price of the client from this 5% uh, relative uh, cheap, cheaper level to 1% level. And this is actually the moment where we simply uh, make sure that our clients are not leaving any money on the table. And this actually doesn't really hurt their sales volumes at all because they already, you know, they, they keep their minimum price position in the market with a, with a more, uh, you know, with, with an increased price. So that directly translates into profit margin increase with no, no sales volume loss. And this is actually the basic uh, like return on investment uh, proof of our technology. Again, I mean, this is not necessarily only the return on investment claim of pricing. This is actually the, the, the return investment logic for any pricing technology that a retailer can use. So I'm basically trying to do the marketing on behalf of all our competitors as well, not just for pricing. Um, so I have a question. So or I guess it's a slightly different question. So um, looking at the dynamic pricing specifically. Um, so can you just talk us through kind of a bit of a case study of how a retailer has used this and really benefited from it? And in terms of the average retailer, what type of business would dynamically change pricing to be most price competitive? Is there then like a big focus on kind of testing incrementality generally um, in being kind of the leader uh, price wise? Um, and then also w with a client that's kind of doing that, um, would there generally be a lot of kind of manual intervention or would they only roll out to certain products, for example? Actually, we, we aim, at, uh, aim at a level which could require no manual intervention at all. But obviously, it's business, you know, things don't really go as planned as all, you know, always. So the, the, the only moment when they require some manual intervention is actually the cases that James uh, like highlighted. So the case when they need to apply price match strategies, which will actually you know, set prices regardless of the cost of goods sold. Uh, so this is actually the manual, inter manual intervention answer. But if I, if I give more detail about the practicalities of the two uh, dynamic pricing engine and the value that it provides and maybe some case study notes that I can provide, so we actually have two really nice, uh, like bulletproof case studies with uh, a Danish mom and baby company uh, called Baby Gear and one other uh, online retailer based in Australia, which is selling hand tools. So these two industries uh, can be generalized in such a way that they are actually markets where tons of online retailers are competing against each other for the very same brand groups. So they, there are maybe like 10, 20, 30, uh, major brands in those industries. 
So there are certain suppliers supplying the very same products at you know various costs to those uh, competing retailers. So in that case, you know if you if you actually you know put pricing out of the equation. I mean, if you put us uh, any any such technology out of the equation, you know back then the way those companies were pricing their products was simply. Uh, a similar uh, flow. So they were essentially collecting all the competitor prices into an Excel file. And then they also had a column uh, associated to their cost of goods sold. And at the very right end, I mean, I hope you can now visualize the Excel file that I'm trying to describe, but imagine that you have product names line by line. In one column, you have the cost of goods sold for each of those uh, names. And at the right hand side for the, for the for the columns, you also have the competitor prices uh, where you have the match. And at the very right hand, basically these companies were crafting, writing down pricing formulas that takes all the competitor prices into consideration, maybe their average, maybe their minimum, whatever. And then they were also considering this cost of goods sold as a threshold, and they were coming up with a price point. So we basically are doing the exact same thing with an automation. And the, 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 the you know, therefore, the real actually power of doing this with a software is actually the immense potential of time saving. Because, you know, if you do that with this Excel spreadsheet that I mentioned, you would, you know, essentially need to collect all those competitor prices one by one. And we do this four times a day for maybe like thousands of products. I think a typical person can do this only for, I don't know, 100, 150 products per week for maybe two or three competitors. But in our case, we have companies that are monitoring 200,000 products across 200 competitors, and the data is collected four times a day. So it basically enables that collection. I mean, I'm not really talking about time saving because otherwise this would have been impossible. So now we make this possible. And after that, making this price calculation via Excel formulas, again, four times a day on a daily basis is also nearly impossible. So our software also does that uh, on behalf of them. So it essentially enables that potential profit margin and sales volume increase that they would have via competitive pricing. And plus, at the backside, I think the most dramatic thing is that uh, alongside an enablement, it also saves tons of time uh, for our clients. For example, maybe I, I explained that too long, but I really like to give this example as a return on investment uh, proof. So we had, we had an Indonesian client, uh, again, in mom and baby industry. And before being onboarded, before starting to use pricing, they basically had a price management team uh, under their category teams uh, of 16 people. So they were essentially just focusing on the major products of those categories. And they were actually going dive and going and diving deep into the market, co collecting all the competitor prices on a weekly basis, and just doing the exact same stuff that I mentioned on the Excel spreadsheet. So after starting to use pricing, they only kept one person in that team uh, responsible with pricing. And 15 of those other guys are now, like fortunately, working in other departments of the company. So they were not laid off, et cetera. But they are now being used in more maybe, let's say, IQ required tasks rather than just robotic tasks. So it saves tons of time. And it also enables that like desired profit margin and sales volume increase at the end of the day. Um, you talked there about um, kind of children's products. Um, are there any like really common industries that you mm -hmm. tend to be in? Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, sure. Actually, uh, again, if we come from the this com, come from this characteristics of commoditized products, it's easy to guess that we are absolutely strong in consumer electronics because you know, first of all, those are price sensitive uh, like products. Uh, actually, um, being sold to price sensitive consumer base and technical consumer base. Other than that, like I gave two examples, uh, mom and baby is quite active. Pet food is interestingly pretty active. And also the thing is, uh, the thing with pet food is that we have a particular solution to the problem of variant price tracking in pet food industry. Because if you imagine pet food uh, websites, which is also similar in cosmetics perfumes, you will have one product URL uh, for multiple variants of a product, for example, if you consider the pet food, you will have the very same URL for one kilograms, three kilograms, 15 kilograms. And this is actually a big problem for price tracking tools like us. Maybe you guys are not noticing that while making the purchases, but it's actually our nightmare. But obviously we also dealt with that nightmare with a, with a nice tweak at our end with a feature called uh, variant price tracking. So just because of that, I think we have an unfair advantage in the pet food market. So we have tons of customers across the world. Uh, sex toys are also an interesting uh, product category uh, for us uh, because again, there are there are uh, really really strong uh, players in the market. Maybe five major brands making the you know more than eighty percent of the sales. So many of those uh, like sex toy retailers are simply selling those five brands and competing against each other. And other than that, we also have a strong customer base in automotive, uh, not necessarily only like uh, car tires, et cetera, but some automotive slash industrial markets uh, where, where, where also uh, we see a lot of, let's say, price sensitive consumer bases, et cetera. So again, to, to name a few, consumer electronics, mom and baby, uh, pet food, sex toys, automotive industrial, and maybe just not to forget that, do-it-yourself and hand tools are also a solid product category. That makes sense. Um, and quickly, what is the difference between dynamic pricing and repricing? Um, so they're two, two different things on your website. Um, yeah, how do they differ? Actually, dynamic pricing is, I would say, a strategy. So it's not necessarily an action itself. So you can select applying a dynamic pricing engine, uh, sorry, dynamic pricing in your business strategy. And this can be applied in maybe like ticketing business, uh, like airline business, also like online retail business. But essentially repricing is the action itself. So if you apply dynamic pricing strategy in your business, you do repricing actions. Uh, so the way we differ uh, actually this on our website, in our, in, our, in, our, in our, let's say marketing materials is that because you know, people just like you asked, uh, have this confusion. Uh, so they, they also, you know, in some cases they want dynamic pricing and in some cases they want repricing, but at the end of the day, they all want the same thing. So they want to track their competitors prices and they want to change their prices against them. So actually the, the reason why we, you know, claim offering both solutions is actually marketing. Just, just not to miss any, any particular demand hitting our website and looking for one of those two things which is essentially the same thing in the customer's mind. So, but I would say, you know, in, in our heads, the distinction is, like I said, dynamic pricing is an overall strategy and repricing is basically the act itself. Cool. Uh, I've got a question um, on another part of your uh, product offering, which is MAP or minimum advertised pricing. Now, I think this would be interesting, especially for, for um, e-commerce teams that are looking at international expansion and, and price management globally, because, 
brands want to uh, brands and companies want to protect their pricing but map isn't legal in all markets it's not legal in the uk and eu at the moment but it is in the us so could you expand a bit more about in which markets map is being used and also how does your map product work yeah sure actually uh, you know, the, the, the MAP monitoring part is also utilizing the very same thing at RN. So it's our, you know, massive pricing intelligence engine at the very center of our company. So it collects, you know, to be specific, it's the engine that collects online pricing information from more than 250,000 websites across more than maybe 100 countries. So we are basically providing online pricing data to online uh, market suppliers rather than competitors, uh, e-commerce competitors this time. So like typically, for example, to, to give some brand names, we work with Sony, L'Oreal, Schneider Electric, etc. And their aim is actually to receive online pricing intelligence for their A, own products, and B, for their competitor prices, uh, competitor products. Because for the map part, MAP part, I mean, we stand in a position where we don't really act at all. So we, we simply provide the data that our customers are requiring. So they actually give us product lists and then we find all their online uh, resellers and then we report them all their online prices. But we frankly and strategically and technically are not involved in any bit of the actions that are done afterwards. So we don't really uh, you know play around the legality, I don't know, pools, et cetera. But to my knowledge, it also differs uh, country to country. So like you said, in some countries, uh, using this data to, to negotiate further with resellers is not legal. In some countries, it is. And also, even if it's not legal at all, I think clients also need to know maybe the strategies of their resellers, at least in order to better negotiate with them in the coming, let's say, purchase cycles. So not necessarily to monitor and to act on their prices on the fly. Maybe just they don't have the right to maybe, uh, you know, contact them when they see that their prices are being violated. They can't do anything at that point. But maybe, you know, after three months, after six months in the next supply like cycle, they can actually at least use that information uh, for better negotiation, etc. And the other point, uh, this is actually a, a kind of a derivation from MAP. We, for example, work with Cisco. And in case of Cisco, like uh, conventionally, uh, like 20 years ago, the, the only competitive intelligence that actually from the pricing perspective, Cisco had was the market data. I mean, by market, I mean the offline market data. So they were working with tons of market research companies that had that had the capability of collecting data from the market, from the field, via their field researchers. And Cisco was simply receiving all that data in spreadsheets or, or maybe on paper, etc. So this is actually now changing because of the fact that e-commerce is now at the very center of the channel management for all those brands across multiple industries, not necessarily only consumer electronics, but this is the case for cosmetics, mom and baby. I mean, any industry that I mentioned earlier. So in that case, we are, I think, also providing a massive opportunity to, to brands who are having difficulty in collecting competitive intelligence from the field uh, because it's not really easy. It's, cost, it's not cost efficient and it's not scalable and it's not that dynamic. But we are now able to provide this data to any brand in any industry so that they can also uh, you know, plan their marketing, maybe plan their overall pricing strategy that will also essentially affect uh, the online reseller prices uh, after after a while. 
So I, I believe this is also a you know solid selling power for us nowadays. And also maybe maybe you will address this in another episode in, with another guest or something. But I think our minimum advertised price monitoring, uh, let's say value, is also scaling more towards an aspect called digital shelf, because you know brands like L'Oreal, Sony, Schneiderlicht, all those brands are essentially in need of data, not necessarily only pricing data about their online channels. So they also want to see whether their products are published with the correct names, whether they are published with correct pictures, you know, correct descriptions. So like they also want to see their prices, they also want to see all these relevant information about their products because that determines their online sales, that determines their marketing success. So now we are actually further investigating the area of digital shelf analytics because we already have some capability around that. But I expect to have some maybe dominance, potential dominance in the market in the coming six to 12 months, thanks to our existing uh, customer base with the map monitoring space. Excellent. That's a nice summary. And also, actually, I think I think there's an exemption in there in, in the EU for franchises yeah. for the legislation. So actually, some, some businesses, the MAP monitoring in the EU is still an important and relevant thing. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for clarifying. You're welcome. Okay, so um, so I have a question around pricing. So how does your pricing model work and does it differ per product? And if you're using the API, for example, or just using the API. Um, and then also, um, is, it, is it mostly kind of self-serve for clients or would you provide kind of an onboarding um, kind of managed service? Uh, like, let me start from the second question. It's predominantly self-service, uh, you know, and, until now, maybe uh, by now, I mean 2020, it was heavily self-service where clients can simply, you know, see all our pricing plans uh, transparently, pick the one that they that, that fits into their requirements, and then they subscribe and they can cancel anytime after a free trial period. So this was the model. But nowadays, we started to receive tons of demand from massive enterprises in need of such technologies. So we started to also hear that those companies really have, maybe they are too lazy to do that, or maybe they have no bandwidth at all to do any, any manual uh, stuff on the dashboard. Even maybe this might be translated into like exporting data and receiving that in the Excel file with certain tweaks. So, but if, if I go, if I go from the first question, we have a pricing model, which actually is tailored for the self-service experience. And it actually takes two, things into consideration. One is the number of products that the client wants to monitor. And the second one is our feature set. So we have currently, for example, three different feature sets where, you know, uh, basically three plans uh, with varying uh, features. So the first one is the most basic one uh, that we call professional. And it allows our customers to monitor up to 100 products. And it only has this web dashboard accessibility. It doesn't have any email alerts. It doesn't have any Excel reports, et cetera. In the premium one, it allows you to monitor up to 1,000 products. Uh, it also includes these email alerts that we can send. And then in the top, in the biggest standard plan we have, you can monitor up to 5,000 products at $229 per month. And you also have uh, the, the, the features like uh, price history, uh, advanced email alerts uh, that can be categorized into certain brands, etc. But after 5,000 products, we also have a certain pricing, uh, like say, uh, structure in hand, which can be actually sent to customers that needs to that need to monitor more than 5,000 products. And also, we have this 
smart match feature, uh, which is this uh, matching technology that collects all the competitor links uh, from Google Shopping. So this also brings an additional fee like 2x, uh, 1.5x, 2x of the original fee. And like you said, API is also an additional fee, but uh, maybe I made it too complicated for the audience. But the way, the way to shorten that, we have a self-service pricing model on our website, which is actually depending on the number of products that you would monitor and benchmark, plus the feature set that you desire. I know that, uh, that uh, Birch, you, you guys offer a, a, a free trial. How does it work? Like, What does the trial give people access to? Is, is it everything or is it just a, a certain part of the platform? We literally give everything uh, for a limited period of time, which is uh, a predefined two weeks period. But if uh, a client says something like, okay, I tried the tool for two weeks, but uh, two days a week of extension would be great. We are also quite open to do that. So we really want long-lasting clients rather than just one month, two month subscribers that would churn right away. So we are quite okay to you know extend that period. So I would say two, three weeks of free trial, uh, access to any functionality we provide. Uh, so this helps clients to actually pick the right plan to move forward with. And it also helps them to be onboarded during the free trial rather than, because you know in some software technologies, you have this POC period, and after the POC, when you decide on the paid plan, you also need to do another onboarding. You also need to carry all the data to an original, maybe paid plan. But in our case, the free trial account that our client holds is basically just turning into the paid account that they will hold because, you know, like I said, they will be already testing out the full functionality with all their products. And then when they decide on sticking with us, they simply enter their credit card and that plan doesn't expire. Uh, that account doesn't expire and it's uh, kind of continues to be reporting data until, uh, you know, the client might unfortunately decide to cancel, which is actually absolutely flexible at our end. So we have no strings attached with the clients. Uh, they can simply sign up. Uh, actually, sorry, they can simply cancel, upgrade or downgrade at any time. And we, we really also, uh, you know, receive positive comments around that because, you know, in some cases, uh, some of our clients are simply noticing that their markets are not that price competitive uh, as they expected. So they monitor prices for maybe three months and they see that there are no price changes at all. So they, those guys come to us and say, okay, guys, you provided a decent service, nice product, but we don't really receive any alerts, etc." So maybe we will revisit the idea six months later and we just cancel their subscription right on spot. And then they really hold their promise and come back six months later, sign up for the service again and just uh, proceed with the subscription. Okay, cool. And if, if people want to reach out and ask more questions, like maybe they want to explore one of the product areas in more detail, how do they reach out? Who do they reach out to? Uh, we are one of the, interestingly, we are one of the only uh, uh, companies in the market that provides 724 live chat support. So they will see a rounded box at the bottom right corner uh, of our website, pricing.com. So if they simply click there and if they just simply write any question that comes to their mind, uh, one of our correspondents, one of our representatives there will be ready to respond. Otherwise, if they can actually recognize my name uh, after this podcast, probably you will write that down somewhere. So my email address is my first name, B-U-R-C at our company's domain, pricing.com. So I will be happily uh, responding to any inquiries that might come via this channel. 
And other than that, they can simply find me on LinkedIn and they can simply add me as Burch Tanner and I would be happy to connect there as well. Okay, fantastic. Thanks. Um, Paul, did you have any more questions? don't think so. I think we've covered loads, uh, to be honest, loads of stuff that I didn't think about or I've not really thought about before. And Yeah, really interesting. Yeah, it is. And uh, I, I guess a few closing remarks for me is a... Uh, like automating price management isn't isn't just about price discounting. I think, but you, you touched on that earlier, which is a really good point. It can also be about increasing price and maximizing profit. It's not just about discounting and and managing price at scale. I've seen it on on big catalog retailers, especially going across multiple territories with different price catalogs and sales catalogs. It's it's time intensive if you can't automate it, especially if you're trying to respond dynamically uh, in real time on a daily basis to paid media campaigns. So it, in, in terms of replatform, it's so important to assess the added value that automation tools can provide and to work out what the time savings and efficiencies uh, you can get from it. Because obviously, if you can save hours and hours and days over each month, then that time can be spent on other value add tasks. So Hopefully, listeners have found this really interesting as well. And as you said, Paul, I've learned some new things as well about pricing. So, so Borch, really appreciate you taking the time to join us from, from Istanbul today uh, and sharing some insights with our listeners. You're welcome. It was a pleasure for me. And thanks a lot again for inviting me today. Yeah, enjoy the rest of your uh, your national holiday. Yeah, thanks a lot. By the way, the, the sun appeared. Maybe this is not the case for the UK, but you know, after, after a heavy rain uh, in the morning, now we have the sun uh, up and rising. Well, Still enjoy the sunshine. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers.